Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Talking about New Year's Eve plans and... uh... I said, what's your church going to do tomorrow morning? Oh, we're cutting down to one service. We won't have that many people. So I didn't know how many of you would show up today. So thank you for joining us. And uh, we'll see how many show up for the next service, how many have been out a little too late the night before. Uh, Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. And I'm going to ask that uh, you stand in honor of God's word as we read these scriptures. Luke chapter 2. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. When the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. His mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. And man, this is God's word. Please be seated. Dear God, we ask that today you and your Holy Spirit take your word and burn it into our hearts and our minds and our understandings and then give us the courage to respond appropriately to what you would have for us from your word today. Amen. We're in a sermon series right now called Seeking Jesus and this is a series on the book of Luke. More than any other passage in the whole book of Luke, this passage gives us a literal example of seeking Jesus. Mary and Joseph were seeking Jesus. And it's a well-known story, and most of you know this story. But the text tells us relatively little about the emotions that were involved, and those emotions would have been great indeed. Parents, have you ever lost a kid? I mean, to the degree that you were really worried. Maybe you were away from home, or maybe it was longer than the 10 to 15 minutes you normally feel when you have lost a kid. 
Jared, our oldest, was two years old. I was a pastor, a youth pastor in Madison, Wisconsin, and my office was across the street from the church in the parsonage. Patty was at home that day, and I was in my office, and I don't know if I went to check on Jared or Patty was checking on Jared, but we couldn't find Jared. Jared was two. We thought he was taking a nap, but we couldn't find him. So I checked through the whole house, as parents are apt to do when they can't locate their child, and uh, still didn't find him. So I checked the doors, and the doors were unlocked. And could he figure, well, he's two, maybe he went. So I went outside and checked our front yard and the backyard. I looked across the street, the church and the church parking lot and the church yard, and I checked out and back in our garden, and I looked over into the neighbor's yards, and I didn't find him. So I went back into the house, and this time I went to every room in the house, and I went to every closet in every room in the house, and I went down to the basement, and I went into the mechanical room. We still could not find our son. And so I went over and talked to my neighbors, and we were just ready to call the police The emotions that you feel at that time. I, uh, I got to tell you first, I felt stupid. <laughs> How do you lose your kid? You know, I know he's here somewhere. I mean, and then I felt angry. Angry at Jared for putting us through this. Angry at myself for not knowing where he was. And then I felt like a failure. Because parents aren't supposed to lose their children. And, and then the more I thought about it, you know, you start thinking, well, what if? What if, he, what if he really never went to sleep? And what if he got outside an hour ago and he's been outside for an hour and Madison's a big city? And what if this and what if that? And deep down in your gut, you get this constriction and it makes it difficult to breathe. And it's that fear that's different from any other fear that you feel. As I was reading today's passage, all of that came back again. Now, just so you know, we did find our son. Uh, before I called the police, I went the whole way through the house, and this time I didn't just check all the closets. I tore the closets apart. And in the back bedroom, underneath a pile of blankets and towels, we found Jared asleep. Funny now, wasn't funny then. Today is January 1st, 2023. I am not a prophet, but I can guarantee you this, that each of us is presently or will be sometime within the next 12 months seeking for something or someone. I have a high degree of confidence of that, that you will be seeking something or someone. Now, I hope and pray that none of you have that experience that I just related to you with our son. But thinking about that experience and thinking about our text today got me thinking, and I'm going to pass on to you what I was thinking. It, it is the central point of today's whole message, and it is who or what will we be seeking this year? Who or what will we be seeking this year? But before we answer that, just a few observations from our text. First, 
it's important to know that this text is important because these 12 verses, catch this, are the only verses in all of Scripture that have anything to do with Jesus from the time of his infancy through age 29 or 30. These 12 verses cover those 29 or 30 years of his life. Nothing else is found in Scripture. We aren't told about his elementary years. We aren't told if he went to Torah school. We aren't told what he was like as a teenager. We aren't told when he started working in his dad's shop. We aren't told any of that. So it's an important passage to see what we can observe from it. First observations about Jesus' parents. Mary and Joseph. First observation is that they were obedient. Verses 41 and 42 we read this. And now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old they went up according to custom. These were parents that did what was right as a Jewish family. They were faithful. They didn't say, hey, our kid's the Messiah. We're exempt. We don't have to go do all those religious holidays. They didn't say, oh, it's too dangerous. Uh, The trip was dangerous, but they never used that excuse. They didn't say the trip was too long. They didn't say their son was too young. If you were here two weeks ago, Pastor Tim talked about Simeon's words of prophecy and Simeon had said a sword will pierce your soul Mary could have said I don't want to go because it's dangerous and to protect myself we're going to stay here no they went rather they did the right thing according to custom his parents were faithfully obedient parents sometimes we do what we do because it's just the right thing to do It's not the easiest, it's not the most understood, it's not the most popular, it might be inconvenient, it might even be painful, but we do it because we need to do it. And we like this part of the story, faithful, obedient parents. But it continues, and in a little bit these two parents, Joseph and Mary, became panicking parents. Verses 44 and 45, and when they did not find him, Remember the story I just told you about? You come to that point where panic sets in and it's this deep fear. Now I have to tell you here, I don't think they were bad parents. It's easy to think they were bad parents because after all, how do you lose the Son of God? Try explaining that one. But we have to know something about these trips to Jerusalem. Three times every year, all Jewish men were expected, if able, to make this trip to Jerusalem and back from wherever they were. Uh, These trips were not easy. From Nazareth to Jerusalem, it was 90 miles. If you really, really walk fast and hard, you can do 30 miles a day. You could make it in three days. Most likely it took them four days there, four days back plus the festival while they were in town. And so when people went from, say, Nazareth to Jerusalem, often it was together at a certain feast, and they would travel together as a group. They would find out, how many of you are going this year to Jerusalem? Okay, let's travel as a group. And they would form a caravan, and they would travel as a group because their safety in numbers, and they wanted to travel with their friends, and those caravans could be dozens, even hundreds of people traveling to Jerusalem. 
And on these trips in these caravans, the, the men and the older boys would travel in one group and the women and the children would travel in another group. How old was Jesus at this time? Twelve. Which group would he be with? Well, probably on the way there, he was with mom and the children. And now he's 12 and becoming a man and presented at the temple and on the way home, it was easy. Dad, where's your son? Oh, he's with mom because he travels with the ladies and the kids. And you'd go to mom and you'd say, Mary, where's Jesus? Oh, he's with dad because he's become a man now. He's 12. And so they each assumed he was with the other and they weren't bad parents. That was a, a normal thing to assume. And so we get to the end of that first day and probably 6, 7 o'clock at night, Joseph is putting up the tent so they can sleep and Mary is preparing a meal and there's no Jesus around but Jesus is playing with his friends and finally gets dark and they haven't found Jesus and so they look at all the most likely places first. Well, check your uncle, check your relatives, check your neighbors, check the boys, check down by the creek, whatever. And eventually they're checking the less likely places and they realize Jesus is missing. They get that sick, panicky feeling, but it's too dangerous to travel back at night, so they sleep as best they can, and early the next morning they get up and they pack and they head back and they arrive in Jerusalem late the second day and too dark to search, and so they try to sleep again, and they get up the third day, and you know, the details in Scripture here are sort of sparse. Did Joseph and Mary blame each other? Did they get angry? Uh, were they discussing the options they had? Did they, well, where would he most likely be? How did we miss this? What wrong assumptions did we make? And finally, on the third day, as they begin looking, they find him at a central location in the temple. And when they find him, the obedient parents that had become the panicking parents now become the astonished parents parents and I'm saying that's not my word that's what the text says when his parents saw him they were astonished you know verse 48 is sort of amazing for what it doesn't say it doesn't say what I expect it to say and when his parents saw him they were very angry with him or when his parents saw him they cried and they hugged because they loved him and maybe they did that but we aren't told were they hurt yes but notice only half of one verse is given to the hurt that they feel. And then with verse 50, it says they did not understand. They were astonished and confused. Astonished and confused. I can imagine that that had become a normal theme in their home. Think about it. Mary, teenage girl, an angel appears to her. Mary, you are highly favored and you're chosen to bear the Messiah. Joseph, the second man in 450 years to be visited by an angel. And that angel makes, in Matthew chapter 1, some pretty amazing promises to him to how he would father, if you will, the Son of God. And then the priest, Zechariah, trying to say words about his son, but ends up saying words about Jesus, the Messiah, who will be born, and says he will be the redeemer of his people and the horn of salvation. And Joseph and Mary certainly 
had the right, or at least the right to think, or at least the right to hope, that there would be some pretty practical advantages to being parents of the Messiah. There would be some advantages to being chosen by God. But when the time came for her to have a baby, it wasn't easier. It was harder. Because a Roman emperor demands a census, and they've got to travel, and they're at a place where they don't know anybody, and they don't have anybody, and she delivers in a stable or a cave. But that's all right. He's the Messiah. Certainly his childhood will be protected and they will not have worries. Wrong. Because the king wants to kill him and as a, a little baby they have to flee and take him to Egypt for, for several years. And now we have this problem. Uh, they've lost him or more exactly he's abandoned them. The advantages now seem small compared to the disadvantages. And so they would be astonished and confused. There are some things that they knew as the parents of the Messiah, but others that they did not know. Most of their assumptions were wrong, and we read that Mary keeps pondering these things in her heart. That's an understatement. Over and over, Mary's going to pack it away in her heart and ponder it. So they were obedient parents and then panicking parents and then astonished parents. What about other characters in the story? What about the 12-year-old kid, Jesus? Well, the first thing we notice about the child is he was obligated. He was obligated by his family. He did not have a choice as to whether or not he would go on this trip. He was obedient to his earthly parents because he was obligated. Verse 40 says he was growing in wisdom and favor with God and, and God was on him. Verse 52 says, and Jesus increased in wisdom, that's intellectual, and in stature, that's physical, and in favor with God, that's spiritual, and favor with man, that's social. Jesus was growing to be a young man. He could have insisted on his own way, but he was obligated to his parents. From this text, we know that he knew who his real father was, and yet he's still submissive. God choosing to submit to humans. But even more amazing than his obligation to his earthly parents is his obligation to his father in heaven. At age 12 already, he has a sense of duty that is amazing. Verse 49 says this. Uh, when he is confronted, Jesus says, I must I must be in my father's house. I have to do it. I have no choice about this. And then he says to his mom, didn't you know this? Certainly you knew that I would have to be at my father's house. He, he's no intent to hurt Mary or to hurt Joseph. There's no darkness in his heart. It's just a sense of what he had to do. Now, just as we don't know fully the level of his parents' understanding of the Messiah, so we also don't know what Jesus knew and when he knew it. But he did know where his obligation rested. He was an obligated child. And because of his decision to stay there in his father's house and fulfill his obligation, he then becomes the confounding child. 
verses 46 and 47, sitting among the teachers in the temple having this question and answer session. That he was sitting among the teachers in the temple asking questions is not the thing that's confounding. Any child was welcome to do that, especially at this time when you're at Passover. There were temple priests trained and on duty to answer questions even of children and it was their job to gently and lovingly point to them to God and so when Jesus the 12 year old shows up and answers questions and asks questions they don't they don't think that's unusual this is normal that's not confounding the confounding thing was the depth of his questions and the understanding in their answers and the wisdom that his answers had to their questions and no one was quite like this before these were the most learned of all the men in Jerusalem and they were confounded hmm. Mary comes takes Jesus away they head home to Nazareth I can't help imagining and wondering what the discussion was like the next day among those temple priests what about that kid that's been here for three days what was so special? We got to watch that one. And then I can't help wondering how many of those temple priests that were on duty that day were around 18 years later when Jesus shows up in Jerusalem and begins his ministry and cleans out the temple and speaks God's prophecies. Did any of them say, I remember that kid? An obligated child and a confounding child. There's a third group that we observe, and we just talked about them, so I won't talk quickly. These are the temple crowds. There were the teachers and the students and perhaps other bystanders, and in verse 47 we're told that all who heard were amazed. They were amazed not just at his questions, but at his answers. Jesus would have been giving these answers and asking them questions for the better part of three days and I think it was three days because day one would have been his parents traveling out. Day two would have been his parents traveling back. And on part of day three, they would have found him. I don't think they searched for him in Jerusalem three days after they got back. But what would those discussions have been like? Well, they would have been discussions on the Old Testament. There would have been discussions about prophecy. They would have been discussions about the writings. They would have been discussions about rabbinic teachings. Can you imagine the depth that they would have gone into? And this child is leading them deeper into this discussion about the Old Testament. And they were amazed. Now, I can't help asking at this point, if only they had known who were they seeking? And that gets us back to the main question we have today for us. Who are we seeking? Stop and think about that for a moment. Do you have an answer ready? Who or what are we seeking? Of course, there are many answers. <coughs> Most of those answers, by the way, are very good. I'm going to give a list of four, and this list of four just begins to scratch the surface not conclusive or exhaustive. Some of us are here today and we're seeking relationships. Some of us are a little bit younger and we're looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Some are not quite that young. We're looking for a husband or a wife. Some of us are married and we're looking 
to have children or to grow a family. Some of us are older and we're looking for a companion in our old age. We're looking for relationships. That's good. Some of us this morning are looking for significance. More than anything else, we want to make a difference and though we're seeking for purpose and direction and meaning, we're seeking for something or someone that is bigger than ourselves. We're seeking a cause. That's good. Some of us today are seeking for security. We're seeking for financial security because uh, last year, well, we had to worry a lot. The money just wasn't there, and we hope this year is better, and so we're seeking for financial security. Or, or last year was particularly painful, and so we're seeking for emotional security. We're sick of hurting. Some of us are seeking for psychological security because of the stress of having to be something that we don't want to be or do something we don't want to do or physical security because last year was just rough with health issues and we would love there to be physical security this year. Seeking for those things is good. Some of us are here this morning and we're seeking for hope. We look around us and there's not a lot of hope in this world and we're looking, uh, seeking for a leader or a politician who's worth following. Or we're seeking for a pastor or a prophet or a speaker or a counselor who's worth trusting. Or we're seeking for a friend who's worth confiding in. Because we want hope. Seeking for all of these things is very good. But I would like us to look at our text and see what they were seeking and learn from them. First question then, who or what were Jesus' parents seeking? Easy question, right? You will never get a more obvious answer. They were seeking Jesus. These two people had dedicated their whole lives toward this goal. For them, the answer to almost all of life's important questions was centered around that boy. They were teaching him. They were leading him. They were watching him. They were learning from him. Eventually, they would be following him. And so they were seeking Jesus. In addition, they were seeking for answers about Jesus. There were so many missing puzzle pieces and so frustrating, and there were so many things for Mary to ponder. Most of the answers that they got just led to more questions, so they kept seeking for answers. And maybe here is our very best answer to the question, who are we seeking? Like Joseph and Mary, we should seek Jesus. And I could stop there. And this would be a meaningful conclusion. To seek Jesus would be enough. It would be the most worthy task. But there's one more character in our story from today. What's he seeking? And that character, of course, is a 12-year-old boy named Jesus. So who or what was Jesus seeking? And as we look, we're surprised to find that he's seeking a relationship with his father. You know, it's easy to think that Jesus didn't need to seek for a relationship with God the Father because he was God. Why would he need to, to seek the Father? He was God. But over and over, Jesus seeks the Father, speaks to the Father, speaks of the Father. And it's just not, it's not just that he wanted to know more about his Father. 
Well, that is important because there are some things, believe it or not, that Jesus did not know to his disciples' questions about the end times. He said to them, some things are only known by the Father. So he wants to get closer to his Father to know those things, but more than knowing about the Father, he wants to know the Father. Here are these verses as I go through them. John 16 says, I have come from the Father and I will return to the Father. Luke 5, Jesus often went away to be alone with the Father. John 6, his words, I came not to do my own will, but the will of my Father. Matthew 6, Jesus desired to pray to his Father in secret. John 5, he says, I do nothing of myself, but only what the Father does. John 8, 49, in all I do, I honor the Father. John 15, if you wish to honor me, obey my commands just as I honor the Father by keeping his commands. To the very end of his life in Matthew 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, if possible, Father, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will but thine be done. Time after time in the Gospels, Jesus speaks of the Father and points others to the Father. May I see it? Jesus seeks the Father. I did something I don't normally do. I went through the Gospels as I was getting ready to preach the sermon, and I counted how many times in the Gospels, four books, how many times Jesus spoke to the Father, referred to the Father, or told others about the Father. Think of a number in your brain. It was 124 times in the Gospels he does that. More than any other subject, Jesus is thinking about God the Father. So here then is our challenge for today. Who or what should we seek? Number one, we need to seek Jesus. Not just to learn about a man that lived 2,000 years ago. Not just to get the answers to our questions. Not just to defend our faith before others. That's important. But no, to get to know him personally. The Apostle Paul would say everything else is just rubbish. Seek to know Jesus. And to seek Jesus is to seek the Father. Like our 12-year-old Jesus, he wanted to spend time in his father's house. We need to spend time in our father's house and in his presence. We need to seek to know him personally. We need to seek to spend time alone with him, to connect our lives to his so that we are one. We need to seek him above all else. You know, seeking God is not going to be a fruitless endeavor. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, If you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. He promises to be there if we're seeking for him. You know, there are some here this morning who do not yet have a relationship with the Father. What a great way to begin this year Begin a relationship with the Father, and I'm going to ask that you come and talk to me afterwards. Scriptures tells us to seek him while he may be found. But most of us do have a relationship with the Father, and I'm going to ask, is it possible that there would be a better goal for you for 2023 than seeking Jesus and through him seeking his Father? 
we're going to move into a time of communion, a time where we acknowledge the relationship that we have with God the Father. I'm going to ask if you're a believer and you're a follower of God that you take communion with us. It's not restricted to just people from Liberty Bible Church. I'm going to ask that you come in groups and meet along the front or up in the balcony, groups of five to seven. The bread will be served, the juice, dip it, and then wait, partake together in your group. But as we do this, what we're saying is, I love Jesus, and I'm committed to following God. And I'd ask that even this year, you seek for him. I'm going to ask those that are serving communion to come front. Let's pray. Dear God, we come to you with grateful hearts for what you've given what a promise that if we seek you, the almighty maker of everything, that you will be found. Thank you for the gift of your son, and we celebrate that today through this communion service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.